This is Pastor Derek Thomas of Living Witness Ministries, and I want to welcome you to the Living Word Podcast. I pray that today's teaching blesses you, inspires you, and encourages you to live a life worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we serve. God bless.
Our text today is found in the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 24th chapter, verses 50 through 53. And I'm reading from the New King James Version of God's Holy Word. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. As we speak this morning to the subject, until we meet again, until we meet again. In the midst of this series, we've seen Christ taking a journey. The journey as a series is entitled From Glory to Glory. And here we have the culmination of this chapter of the journey. And it's significant that we say chapter of the journey because even though Christ is returning to glory, the story has not yet been fully written. We still have a critical and vital role to play in the story. And as Jesus showed in our text, what he did is he took him to Bethany, took him out to Bethany and took him as far as he could take him and then departed and left them wondering, what do we do now? Many times in life today, we find ourselves wondering in the same way. What do we do now? Lord, you've brought me to this point. I don't understand what the next step. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what I should do next. But here in our word, God not only showed the disciples but also shows us what our next step should be. God is letting us know today more than ever before that we have to get busy in doing the work of ministry. Amen. We've got to get busy about doing what it is that God has called and mandated us to do. All the way down to the point of what it is that to a man, to an individual, yes, even to you, what is it that God has called you to do in this hour right here and right now? We know that as we've been going through this series, it's been being preached and ministered against the backdrop of the coronavirus pandemic. And we know that these times are so much more than unprecedented. These times as we've explored in this passage of scriptures and in, in this series of sermons, we found this time to not only be unprecedented, but prophetic. 
And what God is desiring to do in this season and in this time is to usher us into full front stage mode so that he can use us as his children. He can use us as his fully equipped and empowered sons and daughters to bring about a blessed close to the final act that is his return and us being called into glory. But there are things that we have to do in getting busy and doing the work of ministry that would make this day come forth faster. But more importantly, that would make this day be all that God has called it to be. The first thing we have to do is realize and understand that we're fully equipped to succeed. Amen. We're fully and completely equipped to succeed in whatever it is in the way of ministry that God has called and purposed you. Yes, you to do. Look at what it says here in verses 50 and 51 of Luke chapter 24. It says, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Now in our text here, Jesus leads his disciples only as far as Bethany. And the question could be raised, why would the savior of the world only lead his disciples as far as outside of the city? Now, the answer is found in the journey of his disciples that he had led them through to bring them to this moment. In fact, from the grave to Bethany, the disciples had journeyed through six of the seven stages of following Christ that could be experienced here on earth. Now, notice I said six. Seven is a number of perfection. Six is a number of man. So here Jesus took the men as far as he in the state that he was in in fleshly form could take them. The seventh step he had to leave and depart to prepare them for that next step. He took them as far as he could take them in his natural man to make it the last step. He had to go back to his father to finish his assignment and to get everything ready for us to be used by him. The steps are acceptance, joy, faith, persecution, repentance, and acceptance. Those six steps Jesus led his disciples through. He led them through them. And at this point, Jesus had fulfilled his mission and returned to the glory from which he came to prepare the way for us. And because of his unconditional love and willingness for us to complete the journey, he led his disciples to Bethany. And Bethany, a quick aside, that's where Lazarus was raised from the dead. He led them there to let him know that he was well pleased with them as he departed. Look at what it said here in verses 50 and 51. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Jesus blessed them. The word bless is from a word that literally transliterates into speaking well of or well pleased with. Jesus let them know I'm well pleased with you. And you might ask the question, well, pastor, how could Jesus be well pleased with them with all the stuff that they went through and all the places that they messed up? I'm glad you asked me that question. I'm glad you asked me that question because Jesus, by design, knew that they were going to go through these every mess up, every slip up, every miscue. Every opportunity missed was a step in the journey. Remember, acceptance, joy, faith, persecution, repentance, and preparation. Those six steps our flesh has to go through. Once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, there's joy. Then the joy quickly gives way to the realization that we've got to walk this out by faith and not by sight. 
And many times since we're walking it out by faith and not by sight, it's like us closing our eyes and trying to walk through a room that we may not fully understand yet. We're going to bump into something. We're going to trip over something. We might even fall over something and we may even break something. But that's where the repentance comes from. Because once God sees and knows that we're heartily sorry and we have no intention of doing it again, he'll bring us back and receive us back unto himself and say that it's a series of tests that you're going through that as we pass is getting us prepared, prepared for the next step, prepared for this moment, prepared for this instance where we can be used mightily, prepared so that we can step into doing the work of ministry, prepared so that we can move from the co-pilot seat to the pilot seat. It's so hard when you're in the co-pilot seat because the co-pilot seat, you want to drive. But when you're in the pilot seat, it's even harder because when you're in the pilot seat, all the controls are in your hands. And Jesus had to know that they were ready for the controls to be placed into their hands. And through the journey that they went through in preparation, the preparation got them fully equipped. Not only understanding the victories, but even more so understanding the losses, even more so understanding the times that they failed, even more so understanding the times when they missed it, even more so understanding that Jesus is still right there and will receive them back unto himself. The Bible lets us know that a pure heart, that, that God won't despise a pure heart. And God is calling us to be pure in heart, pure from the standpoint of knowing and understanding that even in times when we miss it, God's amazing grace still allows us to be found in right standing. God's amazing grace still keeps us motivated to do the work that needs to be done. The enemy, though, seeks to dupe us into thinking that our journey ends the moment that we fall prey to sin in our lives. But what we got to do is we got to remember that like the disciples in our text, Jesus loves us unconditionally and he's preparing a place for us while we complete our divine assignment in the earth of spreading the good news. In John 14, 3, it says, and I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So Jesus had to leave. But Jesus didn't leave us in a quandary. Jesus left us with the understanding that you've been fully equipped. I'm well pleased with you, son. I'm well pleased with you, daughter. I'm well pleased with you, disciple. I'm well pleased with you because I know that you've gone through the steps. I'm well pleased with you because I know that you've truly accepted me at the heart level. I'm well pleased with you because I know that you understand that the joy of the Lord is your strength. I'm well pleased with you because I know that it's, it's in faith that you walk and you walk by faith and not by sight. I'm pleased with you because you understand that yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me. I'm pleased with you because you know that, that even in the times when you fall pray to sin and you mess up you can call upon me and i'll still hear you and i'll still answer you and i'll still show you great and marvelous works that you know not of i'm pleased with you because since you've passed all these tests now you're prepared for what i have for you to do i'm pleased with you and you're fully equipped you have everything that you need to be all that i've called you to be that's the clarion call that god is sending out to us today 
In the midst of a world that's in complete chaos, in the midst of a world that's in complete disarray, in the midst of a system that's defunct right now, in the midst of a world that's, that, that health-wise is in pandemic mode, God is saying in the midst of the chaos and f- confusion that you see, I have you well-equipped and I'm well-pleased with you because you have everything that you need. This is why we must remember who we are in Christ and govern ourselves accordingly. Look at what it says in Ephesians, the second chapter, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When I was little, my parents had a TV from Zenith. And Zenith has a saying that the quality goes in before the name goes on. And that meant something then because that meant that the workers and the work that went into play and everybody involved in Zenith before that TV had the the plate put on it that says Zenith, that TV had been researched, that TV had been developed, that TV had been tested, that TV had been tried, that TV had failed some tests, that TV had been misspecked, that TV had been thrown out, that TV had been given up on, that TV had been gotten off the trash heap and brought back in to be worked on again, so much so that that TV ultimately passed the test so that after it passed the test and the owner knew that the workmanship in it was such that it could be called by its name that's when the name went on it and the owner put the tagline the quality goes in before the name goes on on it because he knew that what was in it was more than enough to handle anything that could be thrown at it in any household. It was equipped and prepared. It was tested, tried and true so that it would be a foundational part of the household as TVs were in the 60s and 70s. How much more if we get if, if the world can get the concept with a TV, how much more do we as God's children, the ones who bear the name of Jesus Christ as Christians, how much more do we need to grasp the concept? But more importantly, how much more do we need to walk in the fullness of the power and the anointing and the, and the capacity that comes with us understanding that the quality went in us through this process before the name? of Christ was placed upon us and our names written in the Lamb's book of life. God did it for a purpose. It was part of his divine plan. He knew each and every one of us before we were a twinkle in our parents' eye. He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows the number of beats in our hearts. He knows the number of breaths in our bodies. He knows every work that we're going to do, good and bad. Yet he loves us anyway with an everlasting love. And he loves us with an everlasting love because he's like, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. But don't be sad with me going away. Don't be sad because it's not goodbye. It's till later. It's until we meet again because I'm going to see you again. But in the meantime, what I need you to understand is that you're not alone because I've not left you. In detail, in Matthew, it says, I'll I'll never leave you and forsake you. I'll be with you always, even until the end of the age. I'm with you. I'm inside of you because the essence of who you are has been drawn from me. And because it's been drawn from me, you're more than equipped to do what it is that's placed before you in the way of ministry. 
So not only must we be fully equipped to succeed and realize that we're fully equipped to succeed. But secondly, we've got to be fully cognizant of our role. Amen. We've got to understand completely exactly who and what we are. Look at what it says in verse 52, because it's, it's, it's vital here in the message. It says in verse 52, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem. Here's the kicker phrase with great joy. In our text, the separation of Jesus from the disciples at this moment brought the revelation to the disciples that Christ does in fact live and is in fact the son of God. Now, this is significant because until this moment, the disciples had their Lord with them. But now they're faced with the realization that they now are the carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're partakers of his grace. In addition to that, the disciples entered into the last stage of following Christ. Remember, I said there were seven, seven stages and we've talked about six of them. But here is where the seventh stage, here is where the next part, here is where the postscript comes after what the world sees as a closing act. That seventh stage that brings us from the imperfection of man into the perfection of God through Christ is expectation. Amen. He did all these things and took us through all these paces to get us prepared so that we could expect to do something else. He got us prepared to expect to go where he is because we've gone through everything he's gone through. The word says that Jesus was tempted at every point as we were. The only difference between us and him is that he didn't sin. But he met us at the point of sin so that he could be acquainted with sin and understand what sin was. But show that there was a more excellent way, as Hebrews said. Above and beyond sin in every circumstance. And because he's met us in every circumstance as sinless in the midst of our sin. He's given us an understanding that even in the midst of our sin, we can find the way because Jesus Christ indeed is the way in the truth, in the life. And it's in that instant, as Jesus was departing, that like the Holy Spirit is sending upon him, at his baptism, the reality and revelation that came from the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And it was captured in the phrase, with great joy. Because they had great joy in the revelation and understanding that now they're the carriers of the good news. Now they're partakers of his grace. Now they understand that we really can do this thing because we don't have to be undefeated to be a champion. We don't have to be without losses to be the victors. We understand that the defeats bring forth character and the defeat is not something that we should be striving for because within the defeats, we gain more and more confidence in knowing 
that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us because at every point of defeat, Jesus was right there with him. At every point of defeat in the natural, Jesus was right there. When Peter denied him three times, Jesus saw the whole thing. When Peter ran away and wept bitterly, he just thought that that was the end. But when Jesus saw him again, he restored him all three times for every time that he denied him. He asked him if he loved him. Jesus reaffirmed, Jesus reaffirmed the love in Peter and that he had for Peter by making Peter declare and decree that in fact he, Jesus, did love Peter. And every time he did it, it undid the sin that was done. It undid the wrong that was done. It undid the misgivings and misdoing that it was done. And that's what God desires us to understand today. There are going to be times that as victors and as champions in this walk, because I'm here to let you know that we do win. In case you didn't see the end of the story, spoiler alert, we win. It says right in Revelation that we win. But we have to understand that in getting to that victory, we're going to go through some things. We might lose a battle here and there. We might misstep here or there. We might blow it here or there. But we need to know that even in the midst of our blowing it, even in the midst of our missing it and messing up, God's love is so great and so expansive that it gives us the drive and the desire to keep pressing because no matter where we are, his love will come and find us. It'll come and reach us. It'll come and put its arms around us and pull us back and draw us back and, and remind us that we're his. And because we're his and we've been bought with a price that he's going to love us with an everlasting love. And all he desires us to do is do likewise with our brothers and our sisters. But what the enemy tries to do is he tries to persuade us into thinking that there's no hope for us being successful in our quest to spread the good news. And he does that by trying to make us in our minds disqualify ourselves. Notice I said to get us to disqualify ourselves. And he does it by reminding us of our sin. Now I want to pause here because all of this ties back to the workmanship that God put into us all the way back on the day of creation. If you remember, God spoke everything into existence until he got to man. Everything was and God said and God said and God said. But when he got to man, he said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Another way to put that, if I could transliterate it, when he got there, the word could have said, and God did. God put his hands on us. He put his hands on us. The workmanship literally started in God's hands. So if the workmanship literally started in God's hands, we have divinity all over us, literally, because God's hands were all over us from the point of creation. So because God's hands were all over us from the inception and point of creation, there's no way that God can hate us. There's no way that God can throw us away, provided we're striving to be in right standing with him. And what God wants us to realize is that what I hate is not you. I don't hate you. I love you with an everlasting love. It's the sin, it's what's in you that I hate. I poured a drink one time at home 
In fact, it was some milk. I poured some milk at home and I catch this because this is critical. The milk looked just fine. The milk seemed to be all right. I poured the glass of milk because I was really wanting some milk. And I, this milk looked so good. It was cold and everything was fantastic with it. And I put it up to my lips and I turned the glass up and I took a gigantic swig. And before I could, I could get, it could get to the back of my throat, I spit it out and I poured out the milk. Because as good as it looked, it was sour on the inside of the cup. Now, I would have looked like a fool if I had tasted and known that that milk was sour. Yet, instead of pouring it out because I had the capacity to get rid of it and start over again with another gallon. By just getting rid of that old gallon, turning my attention away from that old gallon and never going back to that old gallon ever again. And doing all I can to get rid of that old gallon because when I take it to the bathroom or to the sink and pour it out and throw the plastic away, I'm not remembering it anymore. But instead of forgetting it, it doesn't mean I'm not going to go back and get some good milk and I'm never going to get milk again because of that one bad experience. What it means that I'm going to basically do away with that milk, throw away that container, forget it even was even there and move on with the next one. You know what that's called? That's called repentance because when we earnestly repent and are sorry at the heart level the bible says that god casts it into the sea of forgetfulness which means not only has he forgiven us for it he forgot it ever even happened and because he forgot it he ever it ever even happened all he sees is the fact that this is my creation that I'm well pleased with. I'm well pleased with it because I put my hands on this. I see my fingerprints all over this. I see my workmanship in you, in every aspect of you, in every bump that you have, in every curve that you have, in every uh, uh, configuration that you have, in every contour that you have. I made you just the way I wanted you. I made you perfect because I'm God, God says. And he makes no junk. But what the enemy tries to do, since he can't defile us from without, he tries to disqualify us by continuing to rem remind us of our sin so that we can disqualify ourselves from within. Because since the enemy knows that we created to function just like God, he knows that the words that we speak carry power. The words that we speak can form and destroy. The Bible tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The Bible lets us know once we understand and are cognizant of who we are, that whatsoever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. But we've got to understand who we are and we come to understand who we are by understanding who he is. Because if you go to that story, it says, who do men say that I am? Jesus said it to Peter. And, and Peter said that they say you're this, you say you're that, they say you're the third. But who do you, but who do you, Peter, say that I am? And the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And because Jesus knew at the spirit level that Peter understood who he was. That's when he could change his name. He could put the name of what he would be, which was a rock for the church. Because Peter's from the word Petra, which means rock. He could make him and call him by the name that he truly was. God has given each and every each and every one of us a name, a true name of who we truly are. And the enemy wants to keep us so clouded and convoluted in our minds with sins think, talking about what we can't do because we're not this, what we can't do because we're not that, what we can't do because we did this, what we can't do because we said that, what we can't do because we thought this. But God lets us know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
because of the sanctifying work that Christ did on the cross, he tore the partition between us and God. He tore the partition between us as Jew and Gentile. He got rid of all the distractions and all the barriers so he could have what he's always wanted with us. Unfettered access and an unhindered relationship so that he could be God among his people and so that we, could, as his people, could worship and celebrate our God. So that we could take our God and let everybody else know our God is the true God. And that's what God desires us to do today. He wants us to be about his business of letting the world know that he, in fact, is the true God. And that's because the grace that the prophets prophesied will come to us in the form of salvation. We realize what the disciples realized in that instance, that Jesus, in fact, was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Everything the prophet said, he did. And now he's departed and given us the capacity and the commission to go out and spread the good news. And he's given us this access, unlimited access. I tell my fiance all the time, honey, look, you have unlimited access to me. You have 24 hour access to me because you've earned the right to have 24 hour access to me because of the place that you occupy in my heart and the place that you occupy in my mind and my spirit. Because I love you, you earn the right to have that space. But it goes deeper than that. Love is a choice. Love is not butterflies in your stomach. Love is not a heart skipping a beat when you hear that name. Love is not getting flushed, flustered and getting hot flashes when they're nearby. Love is not any of those things. Those things are aspects of, of what love can be. But love fundamentally is a choice. And because Jesus made the choice to get up off the throne in heaven, to put aside his deity, to put on flesh, to come here, to live among us, to give us an example, and then to sacrificially die, making the choice to do these things without fighting back so that we might have the right to be grafted back into the family because we blew it. That's love. And that's what God is desiring us to walk in. Look at what it says here in Romans 5, verses 2 through 5. It says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, church, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given unto us. Remember, Jesus took the disciples through the paces from acceptance to preparation for the expectation. So while he was working on them on the outside, on the inside, this is what was happening by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, the suffering was producing the endurance. The endurance was producing the character. The character was producing the hope. And the hope was having them left so that they would not be put ashamed. But instead, on the inside, they'd be ready. So when on the outside, they reached where the inside was already at. They could then stand in full authority, expecting God to come back. To take what belongs to him, which is us, through his son, Jesus Christ. 
And our job in the meantime is to go out and let everybody know that we can find in the world. Hey, there's a better way and there's a better place for you that's being prepared. It's being built and made for you. But you're not going to see it if you allow the enemy to keep disqualifying you. Because every time he gets you to agree with him, that's disqualifying you. But the blessing is, is that as we repent, we can undo everything that we've done. Just like Peter undid what was done using the same mouth that he used to put him in that situation. We have a thing at work that our reps do. It's called sentiment. And what sentiment is, because we've moved to the phones now in light of the pandemic, sentiment is the words that you speak. I call it the words at work. And there's a sentiment score that each one of the reps get as they do their job. And when they repeat a negative sentiment that the customer says, you guys, the service is horrible. Even if it's in good nature, the rep might say, well, ma'am or sir, I'm sorry that you feel that our service is horrible, but it registers. It doesn't register the but. It registers what was said. It registers that you agreed with the, the customer that our service is no good. And what happens is, is that if the rep continues to do that a whole lot of times, the sentiment score for that call is very, very low. And if the sentiment score amongst calls and across customers is very, very low, then the overall projection of sentiment by the company is dropped of that representative. And that representative, if this happens over time, is viewed as a hindrance and not a help to the company. And if in extreme cases it happens, a rep could be released because of being a negative influence on the company because of sentiment. We have to understand and realize that death and life are in the power of our tongue. And God wants us in a position and in a place that we can walk and speak and act in a way. Where we're lifting and boosting the sentiment, lifting and boosting the name of Jesus, lifting and boosting the opportunity and the privilege to be called a son or a daughter of the most high God. So we have to be mindful of the times and labor is unto the Lord. We got to realize that we got work to do. We got to realize that God has given us an opportunity. We got to realize that God has prepared us on the outside. He's prepared us on the inside. And he's prepared us to do some work because now we're in the midst of the last step in the story. We're in an expectant state. And if we're in an expectant state, God desires us to let people know, hey, I'm in an expectant state. An expectant mother doesn't go out doing stuff that the world does. The unexpected mother doesn't go out kicking it like a woman that's not pregnant does. Why? Because she's expecting. She's expectant. There's something inside of her. She's pregnant with something that's going to come forth at the end of a designated time. You and I are pregnant with something. We're pregnant with the gospel. We're pregnant with the good news. We're pregnant with the great commission. We're pregnant with the work that God has for us to do. And the diet for being pregnant with what God has for us to do is housed here in Ephesians 5. Verses 15 and 16, it says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time that you've been given because the days are evil.
God is wanting us to understand and realize that I'm coming back. And until we meet again, I need you to be about my business. Until we meet again, I need to I need you to be efficient in your dealings. Until we meet again, I need you to be to have a sentiment score that's off the charts. Until we meet again, I need you to understand and realize that like an expectant mother, exercise is good. So that means you need to be doing something. You need to be walking. You need to be moving around. You need to be walking around so that anything that would seek to clot up and, and get solidified in you to make you not want to do anything because you become spiritually sedentary. That that doubt and that 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 fear, that 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 double-mindedness, that anything that, that would seek to keep the word from going forth would be broken up and off of you so it can keep on flowing and move on up out of you. God needs us to be that adamant about doing the work of ministry and have the oomph behind the work that we're doing. So the people who want to stand up and take notice and say, hey, he's saying something. I need to hear what he has to say. Or, hey, she just made a point. Let me listen to what she has to say. They sound like this is pressing. They sound like this is important. They sound like this is something we need to hear. And it is because the last point that God wants us to understand after we understand that we are all fully equipped and after we understand that we, we have to be cognizant of our role. Lastly, we have to, we got to remember that we're on the clock. Amen. We are on the clock. Even though the pandemic is hit, I thought it was fascinating as I watched um, a couple of nights ago the first round of the NFL draft. It was fascinating because even though they weren't physically in the ginormous hall, all the teams still had to go through the paces no matter where they were. So it's not like, please catch this. It's not like because the circumstances on the outside changed that the work still didn't need to go forth. It still needed to go forth. The work just had to adapt to meet the individuals that would have filled up the stadium on the outside where they are on the inside. God needs us to be just as pliable and just as adaptable as it pertains to the word of God. He needs us to understand and realize and know that he has work for us to do. And even though the game on the outside has changed, the end game is still the same. And that's winning souls. Look at what it says in verse 53. And I'm almost done. It says in verse 53, and we're continually in the temple blessing God. The highlighted word there is continually, ongoing. In our text here, the disciples return to Jerusalem uh, with a new sense of purpose in executing their great commission. They knew now that they were worthy and they knew that they weren't alone, yet the remaining unknown became the driving force for the maintenance of their spiritual sense of urgency. And that great unknown is when. They knew Jesus was the Christ. They, they knew that they were found pleasing in his sight in spite of their faults. They knew he had commissioned them to go and make disciples and they knew that he'd be with them until the end of the age. But what they didn't know, church, is when the end of the age would be and when they would see their Savior again. But guess what? They didn't fret about it. They didn't fret about it because something so finite they understood paled in comparison to the manifestation of what they were expecting. They knew that like the book says, they knew what to expect while they were expecting. 
They knew that times of trials were going to come. They knew that thoughts and feelings of doubt would come. They knew that feelings of abandonment would come. They knew that betrayals would come. They knew that the heartache of those betrayals would come. They knew that opportunities would present themselves for reconciliation and repentance and forgiveness to take place. They knew that forgiveness was what they had to do. And above all else, they knew that through this process, they were emulating and displaying Christ before a dying and sin sick world. The only thing they didn't know was, was, when are you coming back, Lord? We're telling everybody that you're coming back. We're telling everybody that these things are going to happen. We're telling everybody who you are. But in the night seasons, when it's heavy for me, I need to understand when. But before I let my flesh take me someplace where the enemy would love to take me, I'm remembering that it doesn't matter when because as long as I know who and as long as I know what, the when is irrelevant. Because as long as I'm on the side of the who, doing the what that I've been called to do, I'm going to win. They didn't fret about it. And as a result of them not fretting, the disciples continually found the energy and strength to bless God with their worship. When we don't fret about what we can't change and because we don't know, and master what we do know and do it as unto God as worship, which is from a British word, worth-ship, meaning I'm doing this because God is worth everything to me and it's the practice of showing God my worth. When we get to the point of saying, God, I may not know. You may come in five minutes. You may come in five eons. It doesn't matter. But as long as I know who you are and as long as I know that you're good, and as long as I know I have a place in the kingdom because I know that I'm doing what you call me to do, let the onslaught come, God. I'm going to do what it is you call me to do. I'm going to adapt. If I can't show up in the physical house, I'm going to adapt. I'm going to show up on the, in the cyber house. I'm going to show up in this fashion. I'm going to show up in that fashion. I'm going to do the work that you call me to do. I'm going to exercise my gift. I'm going to stir my gift up. If there's not a mixer available because the electricity's off, I'm going to grab a whisk and I'm going to get busy. Because you've given me a work to do. And while my salvation is not based on works, the work that you've given me to do is not for me. The work that you've given me to do is so that others might come to know you. So that others might see, as Jesus prayed in his prayer, as uh, so that others might see that just as Jesus and the Father are one, then I'm one with the Father through my relationship with Jesus Christ so that others might see that they have the right to become one with Jesus too. But what the enemy seeks to do is steal, kill, and destroy any semblance of expectation. He looks to do that by bringing heaviness from sins and tests and trials. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about the heaviness. Now, there there indeed will be times of heaviness in our lives. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there won't be. But there will be times of heaviness in our lives because of the tests and the trials that we face. But please understand, that's not the end of the story. Because we're expectant. We know that at some point, this is going to end. We know that at some point, we're going to give birth. We know that at some point, the manifestation is going to come forth so that people that may think you ain't pregnant with nothing when they see the baby laying there. 
I'll never forget there was a story I read about recently where there was a woman that didn't gain a pound and she was a very small woman in frame and stature and she kept saying that something didn't feel right she felt like something was growing inside of her and people were like girl that's just gas that's just this just this, that she's like no something really doesn't feel right i really don't feel well i'm gonna go to the hospital because something's not right and i'm not coming home until i figure out what's going on there's nothing wrong with you girl well guess what she came home a week later with a baby she gave birth and that birth, that child was a manifestation of what she was saying. See, this is what I was trying to tell y'all. And everybody that were interviewed was saying the same thing. We didn't, we wouldn't have believed it unless we had seen it. The manifestation, the proof is there. The proof is going to be there for all to see. But what we have to do is stop worrying about when and understand because we serve the who and because we're faithful in the what. That victory is ours through Christ Jesus. Galatians 6 and 9 puts it this way. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. If we don't faint and we hang in there and catch that second wind, third wind, tenth wind, one hundredth wind. I've lost the count wind. Just keep catching that wind, the wind of the Holy Spirit that keeps blowing us from place to place, that keeps blowing us, the pneuma that keeps rushing through us like a rushing mighty wind to give us a word in season or out of season, to give us a revelation when we need it, to give us the power to tread on serpents and scorpions, to give us the capacity to drink anything deadly and to not harm us, to give us the ability to lay hands on the sick and they should recover because none of this stuff is by us and is not by our hand. It was said by the prophet of old it's not by might nor by power but by my spirit by the holy spirit by my spirit says the lord of hosts god desires us to be willing vessels a willing vessel doesn't understand the concept of tithe because a vessel is at the mercy of the individual that desires to use the vessel. If I get up at three o'clock in the morning and I need a glass of water and I open up my cabinet and the glass that I grab says, I don't feel like being used right now. Grab the water next to me. You don't have to worry about me getting any water. I'm running. Because that's not how it's supposed to work. Man, the enemy would love nothing more than to have us as a church full of glasses. That when God comes to use us, we say, well, God, go to the next one. I don't want to be used. The devil is a lie. Instead, we're going to not weary in well-doing. God, if you call me every single day, if you call me every morning at four o'clock in the morning, I don't get to sleep every night till two o'clock in the morning. I'm going to get up willing and ready to do whatever it is you call me to do because you called me because the wind is coming. Because as long as I know who you are, and as long as I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing, it doesn't matter if I have a whole bunch of people watching me or nobody watching me. A whole bunch of people listening to me or nobody listening to me. A whole bunch of people praising you because of what you're speaking through me or a whole bunch of people talking about me because they're saying what I'm saying is crazy. It doesn't matter because as, I lo as long as I know who you are and as long as I know what I'm supposed to be doing and it's in line with your will, victory is still mine. Because I am aspiring to be one with you. And many of the very ones that may persecute are going to be the very ones that are going to stand in amazement and awe. When what it is that we preached about and taught about and, and implored about and admonished about is going to come to pass right before their very eyes. That's why as I close, we have to make it make this our moment. And do the work of ministry for his glory while there's still time. Amen.
This is our moment. There's no time like the present. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, guess what? This is your moment to take your first step on the journey to acceptance. This is your moment to say yes to Jesus. If you're a seasoned saint like many of you might be, this is your moment to move along the next step in the process. And if you're at the last step, this is your moment to have your expectations even heightened, to have your expectations revived, to have your zeal on full tilt because God is letting you know in this hour, that I need you to stand up and make noise like they said at the stadium. I need you to stand up and make some noise like never before. I need you to blow the decibel level off the roof. Because the times that we're in warrant a response that garners attention. And in order to be heard over the noise of the news and over the noise of the hospitals and over the noise of the fear and over the noise of all the things that are active out there. The, what, 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 what's, what's being heard over that is the volume of our praise and our worship and our witness of who God is. Revelation 3 and 3 puts a capstone on this whole series. And it's the admonishment that I leave you with as a benediction. Remember then what you received and heard, not only today, but over these past seven weeks, as we chronicle Jesus's journey from glory and now with today back to glory. Remember then what you've received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you'll not know at what hour I will come against you. Because remember, when Jesus left, he didn't leave to tell his disciples goodbye. He didn't leave to tell us his children goodbye. He didn't leave because his work was done. He left and left the promise that I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. The way he's with us now is he's away preparing a place for us. But he's coming, as the word says, to receive us unto himself. And we've got to be found ready because if we're not found ready and we're not repentant, he's going to come like a thief in the night and take everything from us, our loved ones, our, our, our very lives. But if we're found in right standing, if we're found not with a goodbye mentality, but an until we meet again mentality or till later mentality, as I call it. When later does come, oh, we'll rejoice. Like the hymn writer wrote as I finished, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing it'll be. When we all see Jesus, we're going to sing and we're going to shout the victory because there's no more death. There's no more pain. There's no more heartache. There's no more struggle. There's no more separation. We're with our Savior and we'll be there forevermore. Amen. I pray that you were blessed by today's word. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we would be saved. If you've never taken the opportunity to do either one of those things. Won't you join me now in prayer? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you a sinner. I believe that you sent your son to die that I might live. I believe that he lived, died, 
rose again, ascended to heaven, and is coming back for sinners just like me. I confess my sin. I ask you into my heart and I ask you into my life. Thank you, Lord, that by faith I am now saved. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I'd like to welcome you into the household of faith and into a loving relationship of salvation with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please email me and let me know of your experience or if you have any prayer requests or praise reports, please email me. The email address is livingtowitness at gmail.com. That's living, the number two, witness at gmail.com. Until next time, this is Pastor Derek Thomas encouraging you to live your life as a living witness.